Hi, with Julian on the brown note for the first time in a very long time due to a family emergency pretty much ending my year uh, uh, in a heartbeat. Um, so I'm just going through some of the movies I watched over the Christmas period to get them out of the way. And this one's Rebel Moon, which is um, something that falls very much into the most annoying naming structure that modern sin uh, directors seem to want to do. An appalling name. Rebel Moon's fine. But Rebel Moon and calling it Rebel Moon dash part one colon a child of fire is absolutely awful. I don't know why they keep doing this. Um, so Zack Snyder has um, alongside, I would say the most annoying fan bases for any directors are number one, uh, James Cameron, number two, Christopher Nolan, and number three, Zack Snyder. People that will continually hammer you over the head saying that something that is actually terrible is fantastic no matter what. The worst fanboys online, they're always boys. Um, Tenet would be a good example. I mean, Oppenheimer's a masterpiece. It was my film of the year. Tenet was garbage, and they spent the whole year telling you you just don't get it, man. But anyway, Zack Snyder's doesn't have uh, what Cameron and Nolan have, which is a superb filmography. Most of his films have been terrible. Um, the two standouts for me are two of the best comic book adaptations ever. Watchmen, uh, just a, an un, given his filmography, um, unexpectedly great given the complexity of the source material and much love now. And also uh, these much against my better judgment, uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, I think, is one of the greatest. The rival of the best of the MCU world. Um, I thought it was, you know, visually uh, unique, uh, the, even down to the aspect ratio. And I thought, it was, you know, the whole four-hour thing was, was quite amazing. And um, Man of Steel, which got bashed a lot, has given the appalling quality of the um, DC films has actually risen to the top of those nearly, especially from the Snyder side. Um, it wasn't great, but it's um, it's got an awful lot that was great about it. But he's he's done so many films that like Sucker Punch are just so awful. Um, Batman vs Superman is a good example of where Snyder fanboys are awful because it's objectively terrible, but they still rave about it. Now. I didn't even hate um, Army of the Dead. I didn't think it was great, but compared to Rebel Moon, which has an absolutely stonking... So he's come out of the whole DC thing as a cult hero. And the fact that the Snyder Cut ended up being so revolutionary in the fact that it wasn't a director's cut, which assumes you're extending or removing stuff that's already there. It was a complete... Like the feel, the tone, everything was different. The dialogue was different. The performances were different. They reshot so much, like $80 million worth of stuff was added to it. It was a different film entirely. Um, so he's come out on high and as a cult hero, feeling that he was hard done by having Justice League taken off of him. And then the person that did Justice League ending up with one of the biggest piles of shit in movie history. So he's, he's like, you know, he, he's come back with just the... Um, 
So his, his scores for Rebel Moon on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic are Olympic level terrible. It's not just, you know, 50%. You're talking 23%. That is in a rarefied group of films on how bad it is. And 31% on Metacritic indicating an average of 3.1 out of 10. Um, that is really low. Even most of the poor post-MCU Endgame films are going to get, you know, 46%, 50% on Metacritic. Um, and this is, like, the, the worst reviewed of all of them. Um, the film is famously Zack Snyder trying to get on the Star Wars bandwagon, taking them a movie, them saying no for some reason. Perhaps they looked at the movie he was offering. And then, then him going to Netflix or whoever and spending $170 million making a pointlessly two-part sci-fi movie, which is also going to come out with two director's cuts. And it's famously being called the you know, very, very derivatively Star Wars plus The Seven Samurai. Um, and all the Snyder boys are out saying, Star Wars was derivative? Yes, Star Wars was inspired by other films and created an entirely new universe on its own. This does not. It just repeats stuff in other films. So we get a farming colony. Uh, I must admit I nearly switched it off after 15 minutes because the opening monologue by Anthony Hopkins was so cringe-inducing. Then you see the spaceship coming out of a vagina, which was so unintentionally hilarious. And then you get the noble farming savages uh, who are various elements of like the Northmen and Braveheart and they're you know farming in a technological future kind of like the um, people from Star Wars Star Wars were at the start and the evil empire appears and says it's going to take all of their grain away and they have 10 weeks to um, grow all the grain that the empire is going to take and then they'll be left to starve to death so one of the inhabitants of the village ends up murdering the people on the ground, the soldiers left behind to guard the villages and make sure that they do their farming. She is the uh, star of the show and ends up um, heading off. She's played by Sophia Butella, or Butea, um, who I've had a lot of time for. Um, like Even in this stage, there's so many elements that are, are completely baffling to me. For one thing, Sophie Patea, if you've ever seen a film like The Mummy or um, Atomic Blonde, where she has shone out, she's shone out for things like her sensuality or humour, where she's been electric on screen. Anyone that watched The Mummy, the Tom Cruise one, walked away saying, but she was great. So why put her in a role that's a rote post, you know, post-T2 buff action hero, heroine role that could have been played by anyone? Why take an actress that has got so much that is electric about her on screen, even in that dire Star Trek Beyond film, she stood out by miles, and just sandpaper her down into being a buff action hero. But she plays someone that was a soldier for the evil empire that's been hanging out with the villagers, and one of the villagers has been making doe eyes at her, and the two of them head off to do the Seven Samurai bit where they collect some warriors to go and fight the evil empire. Um, and that's kind of what you're promised, is that, that is, this movie, even though it's 
split into two parts, you're promised the denouement, which never happens, which is really aggravating. Um, so you get some nomarch who goes with her, and they run into Charlie Hunnam, who has got better of late. He's been clunky and clunky, and, and then he's got gradually better and better. And he was great in The Gentleman, and he's been great in another film. I liked him in um, Triple Frontier. Great film, that. Um, but here they saddle him, another pointless thing, with an Irish accent for no reason. The people are in space, but they keep saddling them with um, racial stereotypes here. There's a character in this film, no word of a lie, that is good at breaking horses. Have a guess what they do. They make him a bare-chested Native American in space so he wanders around as a bare-chested native american for the entire movie and anthony hopkins does this voiceover at the start and is a robot in the film that does nothing for the entire film who i assume that zack snyder casts as a robot just to do that opening monologue but that opening was quite tough to get through um there's a director's cut coming out of this film, which is supposed to be four hours long. Now, Zack Snyder has redefined what a director's cut is, and that is to not extend or cut, but to completely remake a movie. And that was incredible, but the problem they've got this time is that there isn't going to be a remake of this movie. It is literally going to be an extended film, which still contains the absolutely appalling two and a half hours of this film plus more and given that we get to the end of the film where very little has actually occurred it is very difficult to understand how these characters are going to be enhanced by what we're going to get added um, the characters themselves are picked up in that kurosawa manner where they're you know, they'll find someone who's a drunk layabout who's an, also an expert warrior and he'll join their clan and then they'll get a group of them and they'll go back and fight the baddies at the village. But one, the characters are so ill-defined that they aren't different in any way and haven't grown in the audience's mind from the first 30 seconds they're on screen. Um... They join up for absolutely no reason at all because they don't really seem to have any motivation to leave where they are and then go to certain death fighting for this village they don't know. They just go along. But then they don't do anything for the rest of the movie. Um, I thought the, um, the, the, the things that stood out really well for me were the, um, the spaceships I thought were really, really good. Um, and there's not enough of that spaceship action in. I thought June, a film I rubbished, where the, like the, they praise the visual design, but I thought it was really rote. Um, but here I thought the spaceships looked really cool, um, but there's just not enough of that action in it. Um, and the villain, Ed Screen, who plays a, a combination of Christopher Waltz's Nazi from Inglorious Bastards and Eddie Redmayne's epic character from Jupiter Ascending, uh, a famously bad performance. Um, and that's all for the better. That's what I want from this film. Unfortunately, it's not that... It's not bad enough to be good often enough. Um, and I think the real falling down here... Like, there's some sty stylistic elements, which are the slow-mo, which has been, like, the constant use of slow motion. Zack Snyder's somebody that needs somebody to tell him not to do things. He needs someone to write his screenplays. 
so there's an actual story. He needs someone to write the script so the dialogue isn't as clunky as it is here. Um, and he needs someone to say, can you just not do the slow-mo thing all the time? Um, which is, even Snyder fans are just going nuts about saying, you know, God's sake, can you switch off that slow-mo stuff? So, I mean, no one other than Ed Screen really stood out. Sophie Boutier is fine. Um, the, the, the main problem here as well, apart from what I'm going to get to, which is their derivative nature, is that nothing much happens throughout the whole film. I recently watched, and I'm going to review the new Hunger Games film, I've got nothing but praise for that director for having one and a half films worth of material at least and refusing to budge, shoving it all into one three-hour movie. There is James Cameron style about half a film here and they, sh they elongate it out to two and a half hours and claim that there was a need for a second film. There isn't. Imagine watching Kurosawa's The Seven Samurai and instead of getting back to the people that they're defending, where you, which you are promised at the start, I think, a de facto contract with the viewer, the villain meets them head on at the halfway stage and that's the end of the film. It's shortchanging everyone. There's just, given how little happens and how long it is spread over, there is no need for that second film based on what I watched. I was actually quite surprised. And the other thing is, the battle sequence at the end, which is, I thought was going to be like halfway through the movie based on the progression of the story, but ends up being the end of the film. And I was actually like, you're just going to do that. Um... It's a long-form battle sequence that is so badly directed and filmed that I couldn't understand what was happening. I didn't know where any of the characters were, what their fates were, what was going on. And spoiler alert, once it's over, the villain is dead and they just reanimate the villain and put him straight back in the same position he was within five minutes. So the film ends without anything happening. Um, so those are the things that stop it being a guilty pleasure. But it is, and you can always play a game with it. And the most interesting thing about it is that it's the most derivative film I've ever seen. So people have talked about Star Wars being derivative, and I mentioned about how, yeah, but the, those films weren't anything like Star Wars. Lucas created an entirely new language of filmmaking and an entirely new universe. Just copying Star Wars by making another Star Wars film isn't doing that. So we've had Star Wars and The Seven Samurai. But there's a raft of films that this film just seems... It seems like Zack Snyder sat down and wrote down a list of his 100 favourite scenes and filmed them verbatim and said that's the story. So we've also got A Bug's Life, turns up. One of the weirdest... There's this film... There's this sequence which is very bad and cringe-inducing and not in any way essential to the plot where they... the Native American in space tames a griffin. That is just the same as the Harry Potter sequence, merged with them doing the same with the flappy birds in Avatar. Um, we also get, um, like the Ed Screen character, a lot of his scenes really reminded me of um, the Eddie Redmayne scenes in, in Jupiter Ascending, Valerian, uh, a film I've got a lot of time for. Uh, many people have said that the um, the whole sort of setup is very much the miniature board game, the miniature 
action battle board game Warhammer 40k. June is frequently uh, a reference point. Braveheart, for some reason, and the Northmen, particularly uh, when they're dealing with the villagers. Again, he just gives them accents that no one can handle. Um, the accents are really atrocious, but it's, it's for no reason. It's just bizarre. It's like him saying, make them a bit sort of Nordic and a bit Irish jiggy. I don't know what goes through this guy's head. Battlefield Earth came up watching this, the John Travolta Battlefield Earth film. And Battle Beyond the Stars, the Roger Corman film from around 1980, took Star Wars and turned it into The Seven Samurai. Like the lev This is the most derivative film I have ever seen in my life. I would say, um, by the halfway stage, I was, I was curiously entertained by it. Um, I was entertained by constantly trying to work out what movie I was, was being ripped off. Um, and I also thought, well, they've set up quite a good denouement because this Dreadnought battle station that they're going to fight at the end is going to be great. But then they just ended the film. And I was like, we haven't traveled anywhere. None of the sequences were really memorable. None of the characters were memorable. None of the writing was awful. The screen, oh, both the screenplay and the words spoken by the actors were terrible. And the action sequences Snyder directs are so difficult to follow. Plus he overuses the slow-mo thing. So I would watch it as a, a semi-guilty pleasure. Um, and I will watch the follow-up, I think. But that's for free. <laughs> and that's for free at home. There is no way on God's green earth you would ever go and pay to watch this dross in the cinema. But one of his worst, not as bad as something like Sucker Punch, not as dreary as something like Batman vs. Superman, but certainly Rebel Moon, with the very long title for no apparent reason, is definitely an appalling film. Um, but in some ways, a curiously fun one just not how the director intended. So I'm going to give it a three and a half out of 10 for Rebel Moon.